Gilly Greenstein, thank you for joining me, Startup Nation United. Um, it is November 2nd now, so day 27 of, of the war. It's important for us to capture the, the exact timing of this conversation. Obviously, this, things are so dynamic and are ever-changing. And I think one of the most impressive things about this is to hear about how, how quickly um, impact has been made already at the beginning of, of this uh, of this of this difficult time and uh, obviously the work that you're doing with, with Tom is remarkable and even outside of the context of the war but but even more so your response and um, an active participation in the uh, in the in the efforts as part of the ecosystem so so already um uh, looking forward to to hearing your story uh, tell me just before we dive into what you're doing today with in the context of the war tell me a little bit about yourself and about Tom as well so, Michael, thank you very much for in, uh, for inviting me. It's actually a second conversation about this topic. Another one was, uh, I think, about a year and a half ago. Even I, I'm, uh, even I think three years ago. It's a long three time years ago. ago. Okay, but then to your student. Yes. <laughs> yes. So basically, uh, I grew up in Israel. My first, the seventh, the initial seven years of my career was spent on Israeli-Palestinian peacemaking, and the peak of that was serving as the secretary of the Israeli delegation for the negotiations with the PLO, including at the Camp David summit with Clinton, Barack, Arafat, all that history. That was very early in my uh, professional career, right out of my military service. Next, I uh, launched a think tank called Reut spelled with an Aleph in Hebrew for your Hebrew-speaking listeners, and uh, it basically means the ability to see through. We dealt with the issues of national security and economic development, and through that, I reached, I um, created this idea of Tom, Tikkun Olam Makers. Um, basically, uh, we saw that the bottom tier of the economic ladder, people who are... Um, they often referred to as the bottom of the economic ladder, the bottom 10, 20% of the population. They are actually structurally excluded from the benefits of the innovate, many of the benefits of the innovation economy. As they say, 90% of the world's innovation is targeted at 10% of the people at the top who can actually afford it. So the bottom is deserted. And the idea was, uh, 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 was to create a platform and a process that will allow a lot of innovation or needs of people at the bottom of the economic ladder, people with disabilities, elderly, poor people. Um, those of your listeners who know the word DARPA, the idea was to create the DARPA of assistive technologies. In Hebrew, in Israel, the maf'at, social maf'at. That was the original process and it required creating a platform and a process that crowdsources talent of engineering and design around needs that emanate from the bottom all the solutions that are created are open source and free, deposited online on a website, which then allows basically distributed manufacturing. And in the process of distributed manufacturing, the idea is that there's a lot of excess capacity today in 3D printers. Most of the 3D printers that were bought in the last year or decade are underused. So you have dramatic amount of manufacturing capability that is basically scattered around society, scattered around the world. And our idea was to, as I mentioned earlier, to crowdsource the talent, to create a portfolio of open source and free solutions, and then to basically uh, distribute it um, all over the world, both developed and developing countries, thereby kind of uh, equalizing the access to these solutions between urban and rural areas, between developed and developing countries, 
uh, etc. So that was the original idea. We've been at it for a few years, and uh, um, and right when the this conflict, the war started, October seven, we had about eight hundred solutions on our platform in five phases of development. Forty seven of them were ready for global distribution, meaning they were documented in a way that allows anybody anywhere to download the solution and manufacture it locally. So when the war started, Saturday, we were all in shock, as you know. Sunday, still in shock. Monday, we got the team on the phone. And uh, like a lot of other people in Israel, we said, what are we doing to help? What can we do? What are the unique assets that we have that we can deploy to uh, address the, the acute needs that emerged from, uh, from the war, from the crisis? And we wound up focusing on two categories of needs. First is the needs of displaced families, especially those who have family members with disabilities. When they're moving out of their home, a lot of them are leaving behind the facilities, the infrastructure that are required for day-to-day -day life. So, for example, toilet seats for children with severe disabilities. They don't use regular toilet seats. Those toilet seats are not usually not mobile. Now the family is out of the house, and we wanted to create a radically affordable alternative that they could use wherever they are. That's project number one. Another project that came in high need was a wheelchair for toddlers. Again, these are very expensive pieces of equipment. Many families can't afford them at all because in most cases, in most countries, they're not even covered by insurance. We have a $300 solution that to, uh, actually now we're going to make it even a $200 solution. Um, that can be manufactured and delivered to dozens of families. So these are the kind of things that we have been doing. We have created a portfolio of solutions for needs of displaced families, and these, uh, and we are basically distributing them, distributing them now. The second area where we're focused on is regarding the forthcoming wave of wounded civilians and soldiers who are in rehabilitation because of the nature of this conflict. First of all, that Hamas people shot to kill every single person. So they always aimed at the upper body. Most people, many people died, but those that survived have severe injuries. The second piece is amputations. Because people took for a long time, it took to evacuate the wounded, a lot of amputations. So we're dealing with those situations. We're basically creating a portfolio of solutions to support the wounded when they come out of the rehabilitation centers and they move back into their homes, into the society, rehabilitation, and then even getting back to their hobbies, sports, arts, music. We want to support this entire process. I want to say that my background from the days of the peace process, uh, we have been supported by USAID toward our work between Jews and Arabs in Israel and between Israelis and Palestinians. And I am personally, and my team, we are committed to the idea of peace with whoever we can have that peace with. And therefore, all of our solutions are documented in English and increasingly in Hebrew and Arabic. And um, we will not let go of our friends on the Palestinian side who are committed for peace, and they're still working with us in spite of this very difficult uh, situation. Um, so this is what we've been at for the past uh, three weeks. It's been crazy. It's been 
devastating in many ways personally, but it's also inspiring. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, first of all, it's incredible. Thank you. Thank you for that. How has this been for the team on the ground? So operationally, you know, you mentioned Saturday shock, Sunday shock, Monday, we got the team on the phone and we, and we start working. What has this been like internally for Tom and the people that are working with you and operationalizing this for, for, this real, for these use cases that are so you know, em- immediate and urgent? So we had a few people and a, a, a couple of members of our team and a lot of our volunteers who are recruited. So basically, we lost a portion of our team. We lost a segment of our volunteer network. But I found that going back to work and setting very high and ambitious goals actually elevates people from the condition of shock and focuses them and drives them into action. And part of what we're dealing with now is, um, as I said, we lost many of our volunteers because they were recruited. We issued out a call for volunteers, people who are having engineering skills, design skills. We have more than 250 volunteers who signed up. And we basically divided them into development teams who are developing new solutions or upgrading existing solutions and manufacturing teams. Those who take the, uh, the mature products and are simply manufacturing them and pushing them to rehabilitation centers, to evacuation centers, to hospitals, and so on. So we, for every person we lost, we have 10, 20 people who stepped up to fill the gap. And I believe that the best way to respond to this crisis mentally is to get to work and to work really hard and to be very ambitious. And it's a huge crisis, but it's also an opportunity to elevate our game. And if we can move from 47, 50 solutions that were ready for distribution October 7th to having 100 solutions by December 31, so wounded people initially in our conflict, in our crisis in Israel, but then that portfolio of solutions can help anybody anywhere around the world. Just a few months ago, our friends in Turkey, when there was the big earthquake in Turkey, called us for solutions that we couldn't address their need. And then a few weeks later, or a month, couple of months later, there was an earthquake in Morocco. And we, at the time, we could not address the request that came from Morocco. By the time the crisis ends in Israel, we will have been able to address Turkey and Morocco. And God willing, when we move forward, we'll be able to take the knowledge that was created within the crisis in Israel and deploy it everywhere around the world. Yeah, so it's incredible how we're in um, a terrible, this terrible situation is a, you know, serves for an organization like Tom's a platform for innovation and creation, right? It's, uh, you know, the, it, there's a French saying, the edge of the guillotine sharpens the mind. So, you know, that's, uh, that's where we are. You know, we have to respond. We have to operate. Everybody in Israel now, um, we, there is a saying in Hebrew, as you know, kol meaning every broomstick is a gun in time of crisis. So, um, for example, I know you come from the world of innovation. We, we developed a very unique innovation process in Tom that it was basically uh, relied on a five-person team three to seven person on average, five person team. Now we're moving to a two person team. 
And why? Because we need, so in spite of the fact that we have many more volunteers, we also have many more needs. So we are cutting down by half the basic unit size of our development team to be able to deal with more needs. So everything has to shift and adapt to the radical scarcity that we're dealing with and the tremendous pressures of tides and the tremendous demands on our operation. And again, I don't want to sound too, you know, too heroic about it because the other people are dealing with much bigger needs and much bigger problems. But in our little um, you know, space, we are doing what we can to contribute to, you know, to the very dire situation that our yeah. society faces. Oregini, thank you for all the amazing work you're doing. This is inspiring and awesome, and I love the passion and the energy, and and especially the forward looking at how this uh, this is you know the um you know this is is really a, a catalyst for your innovation and for um for your then contribution to other conflicts, and that this is a part of I think the story of the startup nation. When we deal with yeah. our we deal we deal with the situation, we manage it. We have to because we uh, there's no other option. You will help these people that need assistance because that is the mission you set out to do. And in doing so, you're innovating in a capacity that allows you to then bring this to other people as well, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Okay, just saying uh, one more sentence, share with you. Um, so uh, this week was three years since the passing of Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, who was a giant rabbi and uh, um, really a philosopher about humanity. And uh, people know him as a rabbi and lord. He's also the winner of the Templeton Prize, which is like the Nobel Prize for philosophy. This is the, how giant Rabbi Sachs was. And uh, there's a, a good, uh, a very important quote that I always use from Rabbi Sachs. Rabbi Sachs said, the best way to heal a broken society is to build things together. And that's what we try to do. Working across religious, political, national lines, building things together, for the sake of humanity. And I think that right now, we in Israel, we experienced a shock to our humanitarian values, a shock to our perception of, uh, of, uh, of human relations and, uh, and human condition and, and, and so on. But the, some of, but many of us still believe that we can reach out across borders and build relations with people who are willing to accept us. And, uh, um, and that's what we're trying to do. We believe that if we build things together, we can build bridges and relationships. And we hope that uh, that will be part of the story of, uh, at some point, peacemaking when this war is over and that horrible enemy that we have is out of the way. Hopefully, we can do that. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much for having me.